Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. We're in an interesting time now. We are done with the 2022-2023 high school sports season. The 2023-2024 high school sports season still a few weeks or a month away. Um, but there is still plenty to talk about. And today on the WSN podcast, we're going to look back at last season and do a little bit of a recap, a little bit of a you know high high level look at what happened last year in high school sports. And to do that, we're going to bring in our team, our experts at WSN in just a moment to uh, to to do that and look back and recap last year before we fully move in to the new season. Before we do that, though. Let's remind everybody out there to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Also, a big thank you to our friends at B3 Sciences. Are you looking for an athletic advantage for your athlete or team? B3 Sciences is the answer. Originally limited to only Olympic caliber athletes, it is now available to anyone. Increased vertical leap, quickness, quickness, speed, and strength through a more effective, efficient, and safer way to get a deeper level of fatigue and more muscle fiber recruitment than many modern workouts. Visit drken.b3sciences.com and take a 30-day no-risk test drive. Technology trusted by the Milwaukee Brewers, Chicago Cubs, LA Clippers, USA Powerlifting Team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and many more. Again, drken.b3sciences.com. Well, let's move ahead in our look back at last year, and let's bring in our team to break it all down. Norbert Durst, our content manager and girls basketball writer. Mark Miller, our Hall of Fame boys basketball writer and editor at Wisports.net. And Colton Wilson, content producer and events manager for WSN. Guys, thanks for joining uh, on the WSN podcast to take a little bit of a look back. And uh, let's let's get right into it. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that that always comes up every year is really some defining moments. And I, I want to go around the uh, around the room, around the list, and and get what you think are some defining moments that you saw in high school sports this year. And of course, it might be skewed a little bit towards the uh, sports that you cover, the sports that you guys get out to the most, obviously. So, Mark, as you look back at last year, and I'm guessing you'll focus on boys basketball, was there a moment that stands out to you, game, um, atmosphere, whatever it might be, that really stands out last year as a top moment for you? Yeah, I think when I look back at the boys basketball season, the thing that stands out the most to me um, is brilliant winning the Division Three state title. Uh, not that I didn't think they had a chance against a really, really good West Salem team because I, I knew Brilliant was very good and they have very good players, well coached and had really good experience. But the manner in which that they were able to to do that um, with some really big shots down the stretch to hold off a late charge, I thought that stood out to me. And then, of course, DePier going 30-0 and and uh, winning the D1 title and uh, Pewaukee winning for the third time in a row. Uh, at the D2 level. I thought Newman was really, really good D5 champion, Just and, and so was Luther at D4. Just thought both those teams were really balanced and had individual standouts to go uh, along with a good team concept. So uh, it was a good year for boys basketball, and uh, looking forward already to next year and uh, another year of crowning uh, five division uh, ch- state champions. 
basketball. We're going to talk about some off the court and off the field news, especially related to basketball, but we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later in the conversation. Norb, same question for you. And I'm guessing you'll focus on girls basketball, but was there a moment that really stood out to you this year in girls hoops? You know, it's uh, when you're talking about that, it's a long season, you know, a lot of good games, a lot of great, obviously great matchups, great talent across the state, you know, probably just the, Notre Dame completing the three peats got to be right up there. Um, you know, it's, it's a loaded team in that group. Uh, most of them return for next year. So we're going to see if they can get that four peat, but uh, Kettle Moraine repeating. I think that was a big one too, just because, I mean, they graduated a number of very good players off the, off the previous year's team. But, you know, when you got a star like Grace Groholsky leading the way, um, you know, she, she just dominated at the state tournament and that's, that was a big uh, a big get for them to get that uh, back-to-back state titles. And then, you know, those teams just went in their first one. I think that's always very exciting. Kiwaskum uh, getting the D3 title. Uh, Laconia, who returns uh, almost their entire roster from last year's team, um, that first title in Division Four, And then McDonald Central, who they'll move up to Division Four this upcoming year, but them getting that title in D5. Because, you know, it's, you know, getting a repeat's obviously tough or a three-peat, but always still exciting for that uh, school to get their first state title. Colton question turns to you. Anything that stood out as a top moment for you as you were watching and following high school sports this year? I think my favorite moment as far as in-person viewing had to be the D2, D2, both the semifinal games of boys basketball this year, you know, the first Nicolay and Pewaukee two point game. Davion Hanna was incredible on the court for Nicolay. And then Milan Momsilovic was equally, if not more impressive for Pewaukee. And then that second semifinal game between Whitnall and Lacrosse Central will always remember, you know, that call that got made right as the buzzer sounded. So those two games stick out vividly in my brain from this past sports season. As I look back at, uh, at, you know, the things that I saw this year, I, I watched a number of boys basketball games, certainly at the state tournament, the, you know, most of the time. Um, and and then the football games that I covered, a lot of what I, I think about kind of um, focused around Catholic Memorial in high school football, where right out of the gates week one this year, I got a chance to go down and watch Catholic Memorial play Franklin in a matchup of defending state champions at that time as Franklin had won D1 uh, the previous year and Catholic Memorial had won Division Four, We've seen that a few times in recent years, but it's still pretty special when you get to see defending state champions square off. And then a little bit later in the year, Catholic Memorial played another defending state champion as they took on Pewaukee. Um, so that was pretty unique, getting a, a team that played two defending state champions. There was a lot of buzz about Catholic Memorial this year. Were they the best team in the state? They had an incredibly talented roster. And then they go into the uh, state championship game and Columbus gets the upset over Catholic Memorial. And, you know, anytime a team pulls off an upset, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that Columbus winning was an upset. And then you had the people on social media and whatever. Oh, it's not an upset. How could you think that? Everybody knew that was going to happen. Whatever. It, it's an upset. I mean, Catholic Memorial was absolutely loaded with talent. Columbus had a great game plan, a great team effort to get the job done. And then continuing in the off season, um, a lot of discussion around Catholic Memorial's two outstanding uh, 2B seniors 
Donovan Harbor, the offensive lineman, and Corey Smith, the running back. There had been a lot of attention on them as uh, elite players. The old Wisconsin staff offered both of them, had really wanted both of them. And then the new Wisconsin uh, staff comes in under Luke Fickle and says, yeah, I guess, you know, we don't have scholarships for you anymore. And that was a, you know, certainly an interesting uh, twist in that whole process. Both of them ended up committing to Penn State. So a lot of what I think about in high school football this year kind of worked around Catholic Memorial um, on the field and off the field. Uh, some other uh, things that certainly stand out. Uh, I got a chance to see Muskego and Maguana go in the playoffs. That's always a great, great game. I wish it would have been raining as much as it was that day. Uh, but that was also the day for our first ever WSN live stream game as we streamed a level three game between Kettle Moraine and Sun Prairie East. Uh, again, not the greatest weather conditions. It was rainy, um, not uh, not the, the best for a broadcast, but uh, really outstanding work by by the crew that we work with at My People Creative and Dan Brunner and in uh, the whole group that uh, that put that game on. And a little tease for everyone: we've teased this before, but uh, we are going to be doing a live stream every week this fall uh, as part of our Thursday Night Throwdown series. We are announcing those games, the schedule for our Thursday Night Throwdown series next week. We have incredible games lined up as part of our live stream top teams in the state multiple areas and locations uh we've we've had a chance to work with some schools to to very generously move games to thursday so that we can provide that high level spotlight for them we're really looking forward to it we'll have that schedule announced next week and then actually at the state tournament at the state finals for football my game of the the state finals was actually kimberly and mcguanago Came right down to the end. Kimberly scored late to, to get the win over McGuanago, who unfortunately had lost win staying their all-state running back to injury early in the game. So those are some some things that stood out to me. Um, it, it might be a, a crossover question, but I'll ask it anyways. Uh, Norb, was there a particular game that you look at and say, that was the best game I saw all year? And it doesn't have to be at the state tournament necessarily. Sometimes the best games are at sectionals or regionals or a huge conference game. Was there a game that you looked at in girls basketball and said that was the best game of the year? Um, uh, there's obviously a lot of good games. I'll stay away from the state tournament uh, just because, you know, there's a lot of good ones there and a lot of people got to see those ones. Uh, I'd probably point to Notre Dame at Hortonville. Hortonville started the game out awesome. I think they were up by 16 at the break. And uh, Rainey Wilson was just terrific in that, that game. Uh, but then Notre Dame, like they usually do, they just storm back and, you know, their defense and the way they, they can really run the floor when they're, when they get going is they're a tough team to beat. They can hit the three really well. Um, and I mean, that's why they've won three state, three straight, uh, division two state titles, but just the atmosphere there was great. It was a Saturday day game, which, you know, not normal, but I thought it was a great atmosphere. Um, obviously a great game to watch. You know, heading into the, uh, I believe it was a later, like a January, February type uh, non-conference game. So those ones are always exciting at that time of the year, just because of, you know, the excitement that we're we're heading into the the uh, the postseason with. And also, I need to say, while the game itself was pretty exciting, uh, Sydney Cherney dropping fifty when I uh, saw Reedsburg play Monona Grove and Reedsburg beat Monona Grove in that game. That was a very exciting game to be at as well. All right, Mark, I'll ask you, what was the best game that you saw in person this year? 
Yeah, you know, I think anytime you go to the games, it's fun. Um, the conference showdowns on Friday nights are really a lot of fun, you know, between rivals. Um, but I, as I look back at it, I think that the game that I enjoyed the most this past year was a non-conference game uh, late in the year between Columbus and in Fall River at Fall River. Uh, number one, the gym was absolutely packed, and it's a small gym, but uh, made for a great atmosphere. And um, a lot of those guys that really performed well for Columbus on the football field in that upset win over Catholic Memorial were instrumental in in a great basketball season that they had as well. And uh, Columbus came out of that game with a win, but I thought both teams really played hard, really played well. A um, couple individual standouts in that game. And uh, it, it just was a fun night of, of uh, being in the gym and, you know, watching two schools that normally don't play, but that are located fairly close to each other. Uh, and both had highly successful teams, obviously, with uh, uh, Columbus making it to the sectional final before losing to Lakeside Lutheran. And, of course, Fall River making it all the way to the Division Five state tournament. Um, I just I just recall that game in particular as a fun one to be at with a lot of atmosphere and kids just giving it their all. And, you know, at that time of the year, I think it was in February, uh, you know, everyone's in, in tip-top uh, basketball shape. And, uh, you know, there's no secrets between the two teams because they're scouted so well. So I, I just thought that that game kind of stands out in my mind. Colton, you'll have to come off uh, mute to answer this one, but what was the best game that you saw in person this year? Maybe it's one that you were uh, a part of as a coach, I don't know, uh, or one at the state tournament. What was what would be your pick? With As you had mentioned, uh, with coaching, I don't get to see too many basketball games um, in person outside of sectional and state basketball. So I will use one personally that from Richland Center. We, uh, we got the opportunity to host Kenosha Indian Trail one of the bigger D1 schools in the state this year. And uh, the night before, we had gone to Platteville, and we got, we got I think we had a running clock on us. It was, it was a bad, bad loss to a really good Platteville team and host a Kenosha Indian Trail team that's got a D1 recruit and MJ Stackhouse. And, you know, beforehand we had had our alumni tournament, so there was 50 to 60 alumni in the – in the gym and we we're down 20 at one point to Kenosha Indian trail. We battled back and we actually had the lead. We were up one with five or six seconds to go ended up losing by two, but that's one that just with all the circumstances, the loss before all the alumni in the house, that, that was, that was a pretty fun game to be a part of. I, I'm having a tough time uh, picking the best game for me. Um, there was no Kimberly Arrowhead, you know, type game this year. There was a lot of really, really good games. And I, I mentioned a number of them already. Franklin Catholic Memorial in week one was outstanding. It came right down to the end. Um, but it's, you know, it's week one. It's non-conference. There was a very good crowd, but there wasn't that conference feel or that playoff feel. I mean, it was still, you know, relatively light out by the time, uh, you know, most of the game. Um, I don't know. I I picked my best game of the state finals as Kimberly and McGuanago, so maybe I'll, I'll go with that one. Again, Kimberly uh, scored late to win that one. It was the first uh, year as head coach for uh, for Chad Mikalkovich, um, taking over from Steve Jones. McGuanago came in, you know, just riding high, win staying, put up huge numbers all year, and then he gets injured. So there was a lot, uh, a lot in that game. Um, 
So I guess maybe I'll go with that one. I, I have to give a special mention to Mondovi and Darlington. That was an outstanding level four game that I was at. And again, Muskego McGuanago level three in the rain. Very good game as well. And of course, Columbus upsetting Catholic Memorial. Um, let's uh, let's take another reminder before we move on. We'll, we'll talk about some players and some other off the, the court and field items to wrap things up. But before we do that, let's remind everybody to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, let's move on and, and let's talk about some individuals that we saw this year. Uh, so much talent in the state across all of the different sports. We had, you know, guys win, um, players, uh, boys and girls athletes win multiple state titles in track and field. We saw uh, huge performances across the board in other sports. We saw wrestlers do things that we haven't seen before. Um, but I want to ask guys the, the best performance, individual performance that you saw in a game this year. And Colton, let's start with you uh, as, as the newest member of the WSN team uh, still goes back a few years, but what was the best individual performance you saw this season? I'm going to steal it from your neck of the woods and your one of your top games, but we got to see um, the Bruno kid from Columbus at our gridiron showcase last um, July. And he was extremely impressive in that. And then at the state football game, he ended up putting up close to 200 yards, rushing a couple, couple touchdowns and ended up having 10 tackles on defense and, like you had said, that Catholic Memorial team, regardless of what anyone said, had come in as quite the favorite in that um, state championship game. And Bolton, great name, uh, really had a great game. Is that the only reason you picked him, by the way? I mean, he's he's good and all, I guess, but <laughs> he spells it correctly too. So it's it's great name, great spelling. All right. Um, let's go to Mark, uh, the best individual performance that you saw this season. Yeah, I would have to go with, uh, Rico Yarborough from Beloit Memorial, um, who put up 48 on at Sun Prairie East, uh, in January, I was at that game and, um, I knew Rico was a good player with a big upside and, uh, he, uh, he really came, uh, he really exploded that the last month of the season. He had, he had that 48 points that, uh, in some Prairie East in the game I was at. And then uh, about a month later, he threw up another 48 against Madison West. And um, he also had a 61-point game in February against La Follette in a very high-scoring game. So, uh, you know, Rico was able to hit threes. He scored around the basket. Um, you know, he ran the court, dunked a few times. Um, he's going to uh, a, a junior college next year, uh, you know, and at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, with the length he has, uh, he's he's a guy that's going to be very interesting to monitor his progress over the next two years to see how he develops because he he has big upside and uh, he showed that uh, in the last month of the regular season and ended up being a first team all conference player in the Big Eight conference. All right, Norb, you might have mentioned uh, your pick here, but your best performance individually that you saw this season. Yeah, I jumped the gun a little bit on that one, it looks like. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Sydney Turney. I saw her uh, score 50 points in a win over 
uh, Monona Grove and Monona Grove made it to sectional play. And you know what the Reesburg team, as many know, like, you know, they lost a lot of players from last year's team coming into this, this past season. And, you know, she really was outstanding, led the state in scoring uh, over 31 points per game. But, you know, when, it, when a player can put up 50 in a game and get a win, that's obviously very exciting. Made, I believe she made 20 free throws in that game, just a player that can score all over the place and really just really tough to defend in high school. She's going to go, she's committed to Grand Valley State D2, D2 powerhouse. So I think that's a really good fit for her where, you know, she just had an outstanding year and she's still got another year to play. So it's going to be exciting for her this upcoming year. All right. Well, I am going to go for my top performance with uh, a player that was, I think, ranked number two. I had him in the preseason in our player rankings, Xander Rockell from Regis. And he suffered an injury in the offseason that we thought might keep him out for the entire year. Uh, a shoulder injury that uh, did force him to miss the first part of the season. And then he did come back. He came back late in the regular season, or, excuse me, uh, midway through the regular season. And I got a chance to see him against Mondovi. He was still kind of working his way back in. At that time, he was only playing offense, was not playing defense to try to limit the exposure uh, and impact on that shoulder. Um, and then later in the year, in the state finals against Shyocton, he just looked like a man amongst boys out there. He ran for 251 yards, a new Division Seven state record, three touchdowns, only 16 carries, averaged over 15 uh, carries or, uh, yards per carry. Did play some defense there um, and just looked like the, the guy that, that we thought uh, he would be coming into the season. He's a preferred walk-on commit to Minnesota. Would have liked to seen him end up with the Badgers in some some capacity. They didn't offer him as even a preferred walk-on until after he had already committed to Minnesota. Um, but that was uh, that was quite the performance he put on. He's, he's one of those guys that just gets the job done. Uh, reminds me a little bit of the Chennault brothers from uh, Grantsburg a few years ago, just kind of an athletic freak, big, strong, physical kid. And what he did in that D7 title game was just uh, really, really impressive. So I'll go, I'll go with Xander Rocco. Uh, apologies to Blake Barry from Kimberly and Colton Brunel from Columbus and, and some other guys that, that looked very good at different times this year. So uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Um you know, it wouldn't be a high school sports season without some kind of controversy off the field or not related to the games themselves. And we saw a little bit of that this year. We go back to the last fall, and there was a uh, an issue with an ineligible player from Amherst football team that caused them to uh, have to forfeit some games and thus miss out on the playoffs. They took it to court. Uh, there was a, a court hearing. The judge ultimately ruled against Amherst and they were out of the playoffs. But there's always things like that, unfortunately, that that come up. Uh, and then there's also things that are presented as rules changes or tournament changes or different things. And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that, guys, because that certainly did garner a lot of discussion this year. And before I do that, I want to highlight something that just came out today that I think is really intriguing because it, it really opens the the realm of opportunity for technology to further come into high school sports. And that is the NFHS just announced today changes to rules in high school baseball. The NFHS is the national federation of state high school associations. They set the playing rules for high school sports. They're going to allow the use of one way communication devices between a coach in the dugout 
and a team's catcher for the purposes of calling pitches beginning in 2024 for this upcoming season. So we have seen that in Major League Baseball where they have communication devices that uh, go from the catcher to the pitcher. I, I can't remember if they have one that goes from the dugout to the catcher, but it's a really interesting opportunity to involve technology in the game a little bit more. Um, we'll see how that's utilized and in, in, in things like that. But it does remind me a little bit of one of our great partners, GoRoute, um, who has similar communication devices that are utilized frequently in football. They've, they've done a great job for practicing and uh, putting things, you know, into practice plans where players have uh, essentially phones in a like wristband that they can either put on their wrist or on their belt. Um, the coach can call the play, including a diagram from an iPad. It goes to the device. They don't have to huddle up and signal or ask, what am I supposed to do on this play? It, it really helps with, uh, with getting reps in practice. And, and Norb, you might know this, but uh, Reesburg has utilized that uh, for the last couple of years in practice to get more reps. I've seen them up on the practice field doing that. Uh, your, your nephew, Danny, is uh, on the Reesburg football team, as well as my son, Brett. And uh, really allows them to get more practice reps in. And I believe GoRoute has indicated they're going to make devices for baseball like what they just allowed. So really some interesting technology advances that uh, that could be on the horizon. We'll see if that translates to, uh, I know in, uh, I think it's NCAA football, they're going to allow GoRoute to, uh, to, to institute devices uh, down the road. Um, they just did it as a uh, pilot for a high school all-star game in Pennsylvania, where they actually use that to call plays in the high school all-star game. So, so pretty interesting stuff. I just wanted to, to make mention of that. Um, one of the big continued talking points has been the competitive equity. And there was a competitive, competitive equity plan that was finally announced and put out this year. And I, I, I know we've talked about it at different times. I don't want to beat it to death too much, but now that we know what it will be, and now that we have also done the math to determine, okay, who's already going to move up uh, in state tournaments um, with some of the updated projections that we had done, I want to spend a little, a little bit of time talking about it. And um, Mark, you've been doing this longer than any of us. You know, just your thoughts on kind of the evolution in the history of competitive equity, public, private, rural, urban, all that good stuff that goes back to when the private schools joined the association in 2000. You know, just kind of uh, your thoughts on where things have gone and how we've gotten to this point. Yeah, well, before I do that, I want to go back to your previous question uh, about individual performances. And I just want to make sure that I give a shout out to Eric Kennessy setting the state record for most points in a state tournament game when he had 51 in the semifinals against St. Mary Catholic. I thought that was a, uh, obviously a, just an incredible performance. So uh, certainly uh, that, that would probably be my number one individual performance from last year. Can we, can we give a, can we give a runner up performance to Eric's mom on the sidelines at the yes. state tournament as well? Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jenny Jenny Kennessy was was as fun to watch on the sidelines as Eric was on the court, I think. Yes, she's a very intense assistant coach and a very good coach at that. Um, you know, uh as far as the equity goes, you know, I I don't know if this is the right move or not. I I you know, I mean, I I get that people, you know, want to see some changes made, but um 
it, it reminds me a little bit of the division three schools in Minnesota when St. Thomas was just winning everything and they, they kicked them out of the league, despite the fact that they were one of the, you know, original members of the league. And then of course, now they're in division one for most sports. So, um, you know, is, is it fair to, to have a, a, you know, like a brilliant, for example, they had a great run of seniors, um, that graduated this spring and, um, uh, but now they're gone, right? So their success is going to be laid upon uh, the kids behind them who aren't going to be as gifted. I mean, they're not going to have a Jeremy Lorenz uh, in that in that class. So when you look at it like that, it's kind of like, well, that doesn't really make any sense, uh, you know, to make a school move up a division just because they won a couple state titles in a row. Um, and then, you know, when you look at Pewaukee and D2, I mean, certainly the last three years when they've won state titles, Many believe that at least one or two of those teams, if not all three, you know, would have challenged for the Division One state title. Um, you know, I, I guess the point being that if they did move up, that would give other teams a chance in D2. I'm not sure, really sure that that is what we're all about here. Um, you know, pushing teams up or, or whatever, uh, you know, appealing to maybe play in a lower division. I, you know, you should play where, where you're supposed to play, whether that's based on enrollment um, alone, I guess, is a question. I know that, we, that we've talked about free and reduced lunch and urban and rural and public and private until we're blue in the face. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, is it fair for, um, you know, uh, the, the Division Five schools to play teams like Newman Catholic and, and McDonald Central who have bigger areas to draw from as private schools? Uh, you know, maybe it's not essentially fair, but, uh, you know, uh, those schools also struggle in other sports. Um, Newman, for example, you know, uh, um, they, this this was probably their best boys basketball team in, in 25 plus years. Um, you know, and, and they've largely, you know, had had a difficult time, you know, in the Merrillwood Conference over the, you know, since the merger in, in 2000. So. I guess I'm Luke, very lukewarm on the whole competitive balance thing. I, I don't. I, I realize that this committee really looked at it very closely and spent a ton of time and really examined things and looked at it from a lot of different angles, and and that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, you know the what's being implemented, um, and how the WI goes about doing things. I, I just think the transparency is lacking at times. Um, I've had a lot of coaches come up to me really upset with the with the regional and sectional pairings for boys basketball for next year, just because there's no, there's no, um, there's just no transparency. I mean, teams are getting moved around all the time. You know, you're in this sectional one year and another section another year, all of a sudden Wisco and Pewaukee, well, you, you know, have always been in the same sectional and now they're in different sectional. It's great for us as fans because we'd like to see both teams at state. But if you're in a sectional where Wisco suddenly was moved to, it isn't such a good thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I just think maybe some more consistency from the WI in terms of the rulings on eligibility, on sectional placements, on state tournament stuff. And then, uh, you know, the competitive balance, uh, I, I'm really lukewarm on it. I, I just think that it, it really doesn't um, it really doesn't help anything. I mean, you know, because, like I said, in the brilliant case, you know, you're going to move them from three to two, but when they're in two, their, their team is a lot less uh, gifted than when they were in uh, three. And, and that you, you could probably make the case for that across the board where, where teams, you know, have a good run of athletes 
particularly in the smaller schools, uh, and then all of a sudden they're gone, and and the teams behind them have to have to pay the price for the previous success. Well, Norb, um, we we knew that obviously once this was passed, the competitive equity plan was passed at the annual meeting in April. We knew what it would entail with. Uh, the tournament, perform- tournament performance factor, which assigns points based on you know postseason success in each sport, and you get enough points, you move up, all that good stuff. And the opt-in or opt-down option, which we, we haven't talked about, but as I have said a number of times, I think could be more impactful than anything, where schools can essentially self-identify or self-request what division they would like to be placed in, and, and you know I, I think could could be rife for manipulation and and challenges. Um, but one of the things that we do finally know is what teams actually will be impacted by the tournament performance factor. Uh, even when they were putting the plan together, nobody had actually done the work to say, okay, if we implemented this and we looked back, how many teams would actually be impacted? How many teams would move up because of the ter- tournament performance factor? Uh, we had done an initial analysis of that. And now that this sports season was completed, we updated that. Uh, So a reminder, this plan goes into effect beginning in 24-25. So points accumulated during the 2021-22, 22-23, and 23-24 seasons will apply towards that first year. So if you have a six-point total, you'll move up. Um, We know the first two years now. We've done the math on those, and there's still a third year to come. But, Norm... Looking at girls basketball specifically, we know that there are six teams already with a year left that have already hit that point threshold to move up. Kettle Moraine, who can't go anywhere because they're in Division One, Notre Dame, Laconia, Pewaukee, Wapan, and McDonald Central. There's a number of other schools that could move up depending on how they finish in uh, the upcoming sports season. So now that we have actually an idea of how it impacts things, what are your thoughts? What's your takeaway on the six, excuse me, six teams that already are moving up and the other teams that could potentially move up depending on how they do? You know, the, the teams at the top that will be moving up, I really don't think it's going to honestly factor in too much at that point. Uh, you know, if, it, if Wapon had to move up this year, I think that'd be a lot different. But, uh, you know, Laconia, I think the, the first year of them moving up to Division Three, um, you know, it's... I think they could win a state title that year because the, the, that class is pretty loaded. So I don't think those ones are as much. And, you know, while I'm not crazy about like, about the, you know, how this is all set up, the totals and everything, but there, I probably just needed to be a way to, I guess, uh, for the, for the rural schools, the public schools, a way to, I guess, say, you know, point at the private schools. But the thing is, like public schools get open enrollment kids. And so I don't think that's really an issue for me anymore. But, um, you know, I, I think there, there's plenty of teams that are going to be, you know, that still could be impacted more. But out of those teams that are going to be impacted, for sure, I don't think it's really going to affect them too much because even like McDonald Central, uh, they got a, a, you know, really good program going right now. It's a pretty good young talent. So while it's going to be difficult moving up, I think they're in position to be successful still. Colton, as you have looked over the list of teams in all different sports that that we already know will move up a division in 24-25 when this first goes into effect, 
Does it seem like the right number of schools going up? Does it seem right, like the right schools going up? Does it seem like too many are being impacted by this, perhaps? What are, what are your thoughts on the tournament performance factor portion of the competitive equity plan? If you were to ask our Facebook comments, it only affects small schools. So if you were to go into that cesspool of stuff, you would see that. But as far as overall, I'm I'm kind of with Mark and Norb on this. It's 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 lukewarm in in my in my thinking and agreeance on it. Um, like Mark said, with regards to the Brilliant Crew, with regards to you know other small schools. A class that has success in two years or a class that has success maybe as juniors and seniors and they have that really good group those next groups are affected after them however just from a coach's standpoint i i see it as if you're going to have a down year possibly that next year regardless what is what is necessarily the difference in having a down year in d4 compared to D5, one regional win, two regional wins. Is it is it a big difference that, you know, is that regional title, would you have had a lot better chance to win that in D5 as to com- compared to D4? That's, that's kind of where my head is at with regards to it. You know, looking at it from a football perspective, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that, the sport with the most impacted teams already is football because there's more divisions in football than any other sport. Um, But there's already seven teams that we know that will meet the point threshold and move up in a couple of years. And there's a whole bunch of teams that are awfully close to uh, meeting that point threshold. If they get to level two, excuse me, to level three or beyond, you know, there's, there's a lot that could move up. We could have, 12 teams in football that have to move up. And the interesting part about football is you have to fill 32 team brackets. So every team that moves up has a corresponding move of somebody else having to move down. So that's the, uh, that's the other interesting part of that whole concept and process. Um, You know, as I looked over and I put together the the points and accumulated everything, I guess I was a little surprised at how many schools had already, how many teams had already met that point threshold. I mean, I, I think it it's something that should be reserved for the elite of the elite, the best of the best. I mean, I, I've heard from a lot of people in football about how you could not get to Madison at all and still get moved up. Because if you play in the uh, level four, which is the state semifinals, that's not in, in Madison. Uh, you play in level four for three years in a row and lose all three, you're going up which is, I understand that you're not you know, in the state finals, but you are at the same level, obviously, as teams that make it to the state semifinals in basketball where they're at the state tournament. Um, as I've said before, I, I like the idea of the plan where you're addressing the outcome instead of trying to address all of the variables that go into successful programs. I would like to see a longer window for teams as several, as you guys have mentioned, you know, if you have one good class that has good years as juniors and seniors, and then things drop off, you know, that can cause you to move up. And it's not necessarily an indication of your program. It's an indication of, of one group or one class going through. So I would like to see a longer threshold 
which is more indicative, in my opinion, of the dominance of your program. So that's that's something that uh, that I uh, thought. And again, I just I was surprised at how many total, not just in football, not just in basketball, but across all of the sports, how many teams would be impacted by this. And like I said, we'll see another whole bunch of teams across all the different sports that will get more points next year and have to move up. So uh, if, if people have questions about the plan, I certainly would encourage them to check out the, the articles and the resources that we have available or that are available on the WIAA site to, uh, to get a better idea and understanding of it. One thing that, that I don't know if people fully grasped in the lead up in the discussion of this plan, because I didn't even realize it until very recently, is that for sports where there is a team tournament and an individual state tournament, so that would be wrestling, tennis, gymnastics, um, uh, golf, a couple of those I'm forgetting right now, but uh, for any of those sports where there are team individual state tournaments, if you are an individual competing in the individual state tournament and your team has to move up because of the tournament success factor, you also have to move up in the individual state tournament, which to me is just a, it's a tough pill to swallow, I think. And the fact that I, I'm not even competing on a team as part of a team but I have to move up. I could, you know, there could be an athlete that won two state titles in a row, but their team wasn't very good. So they didn't get any team impact. I'm an average player or, you know, maybe the fifth best player in the state. And I happen to have a good team around me. So now I have to move up in the individual state title or state championship, but the two-time defending state champion doesn't, I just, that doesn't quite sit right with me. Um, Norb, I guess your your thoughts on that idea of the team being tied to the individual as well, at least from a tournament success factor to t- tournament performance factor component. Yeah, I don't like that because I think they're they can still separate themselves up out enough in those tournaments that that you know they should. I think it's going to hurt the wrestlers themselves if they're on a very good team. I mean, so I agree with you when it comes to that. I think it's, but the the problem is if you're competing. You know, with the team that's now a Division Two school, you know, I think you're just going to get backlash if a wrestler is wrestling in Division Three for his individual, and then Division Two for a team. And it's probably the issue that they don't want the WI doesn't want to deal with with that kind of uh, kickback. Well, one of the, the the things that was was mentioned and explained to me, uh, there are sports and including wrestling where the the team tournament you know qualifying for sectionals for instance is based on individual performances in regionals so they're the individual and the state tournaments are conflated and and combined in that perspective where yes there are there's a team state tournament but it's based on you know how individual wrestlers do at the the lower levels which i understand like in the existing structure, it's hard to separate those out. But my point would be, let's find a different structure then for qualifying for team wrestling or for, I think tennis was another one where, you know, tennis subsectional individual results determine qualifiers for sectionals and state team. Um, so I, I understand how 
because they are kind of mixed together, it's difficult. But there's other sports where I, I don't believe from an individual and team perspective that they're combined, like they're completely different state tournaments, but they're still both impacted. Um, and we should also add that the uh, that track and field, track and field, and what is the other one that is not impacted at all by the, uh, that does not apply for uh, tournament factor points. They don't even accumulate. There's nobody that moves up from those. And I'm, I'm spacing on the other, um, other state tournament now. Uh, let's see. Uh, swimming. I'm sorry. Swimming and diving. Boys and girls swimming and diving is the other one where they have team components, but there's no tournament performance factor that's applied. And I, I don't recall seeing the rationale for that. Like why, why can't you apply it for track and field, for instance? I, I don't know. There, there must be something in qualifying or how they're structured that, that doesn't allow it, I guess. Although at the same time, as someone had mentioned to me the other day, and I've kind of long wondered and felt in an individual sport, does it make sense to have divisions? Like teams, obviously you understand there's a bigger draw. There's more team, you know, more players to come in and be part of a team to be successful and all that other stuff. But individual sports it's it's one-on-one -on -one. i mean yes there are resources issue you know differences and in, in those kinds of things between bigger and small schools but ultimately it's one-on-one -on -one. so I, I i don't know um interesting stuff again we've got a ways to go before this is actually implemented there will be more points accumulated next year i am really really interested to see how many teams request to opt down in in the rationale that they use and how many you know you might look at and say why like you're doing fine um that's that's a big part that we don't know yet we won't know for a little bit so we'll we'll see uh we'll we'll move on though because we could spend a whole lot longer talking about that uh, i do want to talk about the basketball proposals that were proposed by the basketball coaches association we have not talked about those since they were voted on collectively, uh, did have a great conversation with WBCA Executive Director Jerry Pettigrew a couple weeks ago about his thoughts on it. But want to get you guys' uh, thoughts on in reaction to the votes where the shot clock was voted down at the Board of Control level and the opportunity to add two more Division I teams at the state tournament, bringing that total to six, adjusting the divisional cut line slightly, that was voted down at the um, advisory council level a couple weeks ago by the WIAA. Mark, we'll start with you as the uh, the the veteran member of our crew. Thoughts on WIA shooting down a shot clock, shooting down six Division One teams at state, and filling that Thursday morning session. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I was hopeful that the six Division One teams would would potentially pass. I understand why it didn't. You know, they want to get some feedback from all the Division One coaches. Um, we're at 70 schools now in Division One, and every year it's getting smaller because they have kept that 1,200 and above enrollment uh, in place. So, getting feedback from those 70 schools because uh, when you have six teams, you're obviously going to have two buys. How do the coaches feel about that? Are they okay with that? I know some coaches aren't, but many others are. Um, 
So maybe next year they can send out a survey and get some feedback and have some data to, to actually have in front of them when they vote on it again. Um, you know, and then I think uh, the bigger picture there is that um, it, is that we we have too many. Uh, there's an imbalance between the large schools and the small schools as far as who advances to the state tournament when when you have uh, eight schools with enrollments of 600 or above go to state and 12 600 or below go to state. That that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like uh, the best solution. I realize we have more smaller schools um, and no one's saying that, you know, small schools should not be a big, big part of the state tournament. But um, I, I do think that um, the state tournament needs a boost. Um, and I'm not sure what that would look like. Um, I think if we look at other states in the Midwest, we might want to examine and see how they do it and what's been successful for them and maybe what uh, what isn't working. But I, I just think that our our state tournament needs a boost. Uh, we haven't come close to a sellout in years. Uh, some of the sessions are very poorly attended, um, and yet it's still a great event. But um, I think we can we can make it better. My solution would be would be to go back to eight Division One teams at state, uh, and maybe maybe we go eight eight teams and four divisions, um, and spread it out over a few more days. And maybe we might have to use a different location, but. Um, uh, I, I do think it needs a boost. As far as the shot clock goes, uh, you know, I I, I kind of go back and forth with that. I mean, I think it would help in some cases. Uh, in most cases, uh, teams are shooting the ball under 30 or 35 seconds anyway. Um, and I, I do think that there is there is a lot to be said for the underdog. Um, you know, like, like a Kadosha St. Joe's, for example, um, you know, playing a very deliberate style of game to keep themselves in the game against a more talented opponent. And, and um, you know, you can still do that with a shot clock, but I think it's a, it's maybe a little easier to do without a shot clock. And yet at the same time, it's not easy to do at all. Um, so for all those that say it adds a whole new level of strategy, if you bring in a shot clock, I think it also takes out some strategy. So um, the logistics of a shot clock are difficult. Uh, I know other states have done it, so it's possible. Uh, and I think eventually the shot clock will probably be here. Um, but it, it seems like we've gone down this road. As you know, Travis and Norb and Colton, we've, <laughs> we've gone down this road several times now. And uh, it seems to have momentum, and then it just kind of filters away, and the WI says no. So uh, I'm not sure where it goes from here. Um, you know, if the, if the basketball advisory committee will bring it up again next year, it's possible. I know the WBCA is very much behind adding a shot clock. Um, but, um, I think for the foreseeable future, we aren't going to see it. I do want to add, because there was some mention of this when the, uh, six division one teams was defeated. Um, there was a survey done by the WBCA last year when this idea was first introduced. They surveyed on on that uh, idea of six Division One teams at state versus the current structure. It was a slightly different plan at that time um, in terms of the the divisional cut lines were were different than what they were in this plan. But at that time, of seventy Division One coaches polled, boys and girls, all but five. Division one coaches supported the idea of six division one teams at state. And obviously that means the top two teams get a buy. So 
the WBCA has surveyed on this idea before, and and I, I don't know if that made it to the groups that were making the decisions, but um, across the the spectrum of all divisions, it was supported uh, substantially to have uh, have six Division One teams at state, and uh, I, I want to say it was seventy. It's around seventy percent, seventy-two percent, I believe, uh, had supported that idea uh, across all uh, all divisions of boys and girls coaches. So there's support for it amongst the coaches. And as I've said, and as I've argued, as I presented last year, this idea initially, if the WI is looking to raise revenue, this is the easiest thing to do. Just add two more teams to that morning session on Thursday, and keep it nice and simple. Going to four divisions of eight teams, going to something else is much more complicated, involves renegotiating uh, leases and and rental agreements and television contracts and and much more than just uh, adding a couple teams. So, yeah, I, I will add as well, everybody knows out there, I think by now, I'm not a proponent of the shot clock. I don't think it will significantly impact the game uh, positively, I think it will be a net neutral um, overall. Uh, while spending five or ten million dollars around the state on shot clocks, but I do think it is time that it goes before the membership for a vote. There was a survey done by the WBCA of schools this past winter. The schools at that time did not support it, but it was just a survey. It was not all member schools. There was nothing binding about it. And even if the WIA Board of Control had voted for the shot clock this uh, June, it still would have had to go to the membership for final approval next April. And I think it's time for an up or down vote, a yes or no vote. Um, Otherwise, everybody's just kind of in limbo here. Uh, The WBCA has indicated they're going to continually bring this idea back. They don't want to be the last state to have a shot clock. There will be around 20 that we'll have it this year. Um, So it's going to continue to be there. And because there has not been an up or down vote from the schools, it will continue to just be in limbo. So while I don't support it, I would have supported the WBCA board passing it so that it could go on to the membership for a vote. Norb, on to you. Your thoughts on the WI defeating a shot clock and defeating the six Division I teams at state with the revised divisional placements. Well, not surprised on the shot clock. I mean, all those reasons. And I think the big thing is there's a huge separation between coaches and administrators in the state. I think until administrators um, find value in the shot clock outside of just, you know, again, just the the better, the bigger schools or, you know, or how it can help the smaller schools. I think that's obviously the big gap there. Um, and hopefully it can be done soon because I think an advancement of the state in the game of basketball, I think it's important even if, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of those players might not play at the next level. I think especially giving giving uh, the the other states around us moving to it, I think it, it would just be a good step in the right direction for us. But as far as uh, shooting down the six teams, you know, that's unfortunate because there are just so many good teams that don't get to the state tournament. And when you're talking about Division One, you're talking about some high-level players. So, I think we're really missing out on being able to watch some of those players that on the main stage, you know, like in Ali Zabella at Nina, uh, Nina's in the same sectional as Hortonville, Hortonville beat them last year. 
Um, and uh, Nina's Nina lost a lot of players from last year's team. So I think, you know, Hortonville's a team that's, you know, a better team going starting the year. And I think it's just unfortunate that we don't get to see or we might not be able to get to see players like that um, at the state tournament. I just think it'd be, again, a nice, you know, good ad for the game. And obviously it's going to be a rent of view, revenue. Uh, I cannot say that word, apparently. Uh, increaser because I think when you get those high level kids out there, it's just going to bring more excitement to the game. And, uh, you know, obviously the having buys at state is one of the problems, but uh, you know, I just, I just think it's very unfortunate that it wasn't uh, uh, pushed forward because I just think it'd be very good. Colton, your turn to, to, to chime in on uh, the shot clock and the uh, divisional adjustments, not being advanced and not being supported by the WI Board of Control. Shot clock, I'm kind of like Mark. I've been back and forth almost every time it's brought up in discussion. I'm for it, against it, and it changes with the speaking of a sentence. Um, I think that, as you had mentioned, it, it needs to get forward and go to the membership for sure. Um, as far as for the game, I think... For the most part, it wouldn't affect the game day to or in game. I think a lot of teams, for the most part, get a shot up within 40 seconds. I think where it would come into most effect is where you have a team such as teams that we play like Belleville and Platteville, where they press full court at all times. It's now you're slowing the game down, and all of a sudden that shot clock becomes 25, 30 seconds. Or instances, it, obviously, the stalling at ends of games and stuff like that, it affects that the most, which it's good that it affects that. Um, as far as the six Division One teams, in favor of it, um, brings more talent to the state. How much that would correlate over to attendance outside of those two schools' fan bases? Does it bring in, does adding two... Division one teams, does that bring in a bunch of um pedestrian spectators? I, I, that'd be that'd be something that I'd be interested to either see a survey of <laughs> random basketball goers or whatnot, but what what is the reason that the average Joe, the people that used to go to state every year, what's what's the reason that that decline is happening? All right, all all good thoughts, all good comments, all good uh, reasons why you know there's some frustration out there in a lot of different parts of the state uh, by coaches in the basketball world, by administrators. Um, we're gonna see we're gonna see these discussions continue without a doubt. Well, guys, uh, we're gonna wrap up here shortly, but before we do that, um, what are your what what else? What have we not touched on? What are your other final parting thoughts? about this past school year that maybe we haven't got to um, as we begin those preparations for the new season. Uh, Mark, let's start with you. Well, I, you know, one thing that kind of stood out to me when I'm watching uh, some of the state tournaments on television that aren't basketball, um, I thought that shortstop uh, from St. Thomas Moore, um, Alicia, I think his name is, 
I thought he was really, really good. Um, and uh, I see that he's ranked number one in the state and is going, I think, to Louisville. And, you know, as I got to thinking about it, you know, baseball, um, we probably don't celebrate our state baseball kids enough. You know, like an Owen Miller now, you know, playing well for the Brewers, uh, regardless of the air last night. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I just think that baseball is is one of the hardest sports, if not the hardest, to excel at and get all the way to the big time, get all the way to the majors. The road is so long. There's so many guys that are playing it. So, um, you know, guys like Alicia, and, and certainly there are obviously many more, uh, you know, watching Craig Council's son play for Whitefish Bay was fun uh, at the state tournament. And of course, they they won the whole thing in Division One. Uh, seeing Denmark, you know, win back-to-back state championships, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think maybe celebrating baseball a little bit more in our state. Um, and I realize that University of Wisconsin still doesn't have a program, and and yet we have the Brewers, and we have a couple minor league teams, and we have the Northwoods League, and you know, we have good Division Three baseball, and obviously UWM has a Division One program. But as I look back at it, the whole thing, I. I, I just wonder if, uh, you know, volleyball's taken a huge step forward and basketball's always been good and football's always been good. Um, but I wonder if, if, uh, if maybe baseball is a sport that should be, uh, you know, celebrated a little bit more than it is. Norm, final thoughts on the 2022-2023 high school sports season. Well, I'll follow the lead by Mark there and, I'll uh, give a shout out to Kakana softball team. Uh, they just won their third consecutive uh, Division One state title, and they've won 81 consecutive games. Just unbelievable. Um, Carly Meredith, their best player, um, WFSCA uh, Division One Player of the Year. You know she's only a sophomore, so I mean they could get a couple more, a uh, couple more state titles, and keep that winning streak going. So just something very impressive going on up in Kakana. There's been some incredible softball players that have come out of the state. There's some uh, some young kids, right? Like, I can't remember which team it was at the state tournament. Had a freshman, maybe, that was a, a pitcher that was really good. Um, makes you wonder, kind of like other sports, you know, if if Wisconsin softball can can grab some of those kids and increase its its level. I know they uh, they let go a coach a few years ago that that had some success. So, would love to see the uh, the women's softball program at UW, which plays at Goodman Diamond. Uh, grab some of those kids and have some success as well. Maybe get on par with, it'd be hard to get to the level of UW volleyball, but, um, you know, see them challenging for some uh, some Big Ten championships. Colton, up up to you. Final thoughts on 2022-2023. Not so much a look back, but just a reminder to, you know, all the coaches, prep, AAU, parents, spectators, Everybody that's involved in um, high school and youth sports, you're dealing with kids. And anymore, it seems year after year, there's more and more pressure on 13- to 18-year-olds to be at everything in the summer, be at everything in the off-season. We have to remember that summer, they do need to have time to be kids, go out on the river, go out in the fields, go out and have fun with their friends. There's so much pressure put on kids to be at AAU basketball, um, prep basketball. Now football is getting a lot more and more with the seven on sevens in the camps and obviously summer baseball, summer softball, summer volleyball, just 
just a reminder to those coaches and those parents and spectators, let the kids be kids. Let them, you know, take a break here and there. Let them have some fun. And speaking of all the players and parents and coaches out there, we want to say a big thank you to all of you for uh, for being a part of the high school sports community and the high school sports community that uh, that we love so much, being supporters of what we do at wisports.net. Um, you know, the, the coaches that we get to work with are, are so incredible and fantastic. The athletic directors, the uh, players, the parents, the fans, the readers, the listeners, everybody that that supports what we do at WSN and allows us to do this and, and, and do what we feel is pretty unique around the, uh, the country at wisports.net. A big thank you to everybody. A big thank you to the WIAA, the executive staff there, the various coaches associations that we work with and are, are involved with uh, just outstanding people, outstanding things being done in education-based high school athletics. Want to say a big thank you on behalf of our entire staff at Wisports. Net. Well, guys, uh, let's let's wrap things up. Before we do that, though, let's remind everybody to help save lives on Wisconsin roads. The life you save might just be yours. Make the commitment to yourself and passengers that are with you by buckling up and putting the phone down every trip, every time. To find out more, take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, on behalf of Mark Miller, on behalf of Norbert Durst, on behalf of Colton Wilson, I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WizSports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.